Hi everyone, this is Tracy Malone, the founder of NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. Today, I've got a wonderful guest. Brie Bonchet is a licensed psychotherapist and she has been dealing with victims of narcissistic abuse for a really long time. And she is the founder of World Narcissist Abuse Awareness Day. This is an event that goes on in June every year. It's a free summit and there's so much information. She's been interviewing the very, very tops in this industry and I'm, I'm so honored to have been part of her, her event this year. But today we're gonna talk about a really important topic that we both see in our practices so much. People like come to us and, and I was one of them, she was one of them, we were just discussing it, um, that we didn't know we were a victim of abuse and how do we know if we are? And then sort of how do we make sure we're not again? So without any further ado, let me get ready. And we're going to welcome Brie and we're going to talk to her about how to stop and, and figure out why we were targets and how to um, know that we we're actually abused. So without any further ado, let's welcome Brie. Hi there, Brie. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. So Brie, tell me about World Narcissist Abuse Awareness Day. I'd love to. So I um, wanted a day that would really just sort of honor survivors and be able to help spread awareness globally and, and hopefully affect change and in our legal system and our, you know, our family courts. So about four years ago, I um, decided that I would just create this day <laughs> and in and, and a way to sort of like really make the day special and big and get the word out, I decided to hold a telesummit on that day. And I, and I contacted people who were really pretty big in the field, who were, had, you know, talking a lot about narcissistic abuse. And I got everybody all in one day and um, had the telesummit. And it's just, it's, it's been really awesome. I, I never expected it to to just grow to what it's grown to. I have over uh, like 30,000 people attending the summit. Um, it's all over the world. Uh, it's just, it's amazing. And, and it's really great to be able to give something, it's free. So it's the survivor community for that day, I should say, it's free for that for 24 or 48 hours, however long that survivors can listen to this amazing content, the latest content from, from all the, you know, pro top professionals, psychologists, lawyers, uh, coaches, advocates, everybody in the field of narcissistic abuse. And they get to hear all this content for free. And all these people who, who do the summit are, are you know, they, they're doing it because it's, it's a, a, a mission for them as well to help heal other people. Um, so it's, it's just an amazing event. I, I've met wonderful people. I've met you. And so it's, it's great. And I hope that anybody who's listening will go to my site and check it out. <laughs> we'll give the, the URL to that later. But um, World Narcissist Abuse Awareness Day um, saved my life. Um, it really helped me at the very beginning of my journey to understand mm -hmm. things. And, you know, we can all go to YouTube all the time and pick up 30,000 videos any day we want to. But your videos are just honed in specific topics. And, 
they really help everybody no matter where they are in the spectrum this is a really good lead-in to us because we're going to talk about um people and who have been at you know victims if you would survivors if you if they can you know they get to that point but you know how do they know if they're they're like suffering from narcissistic abuse. So these relationships could not only be, uh, you know, a, a relationship like a marriage or a, a romantic relationship, but it could be their parents. For me, I, I didn't know until I was 50 years old that all of this was happening mm -hmm. and that I had been a victim my whole life. How do people know? What, what, how can you guide us here? Yeah, well, you know, I thought it would be a really great topic because it's probably one of the questions that I get asked the most. And, you know, people will usually write me and they'll write me pretty lengthy emails and ask me, you know, Bree, how can I tell if I've been abused? Am I in an abusive relationship? Is my partner, mother, whoever, uh, a narcissist? And they'll give me a pretty, you know, long, detailed description of the relationship, about what happened. And, um, you know, and then want that confirmation from me or want my opinion to um, help them determine if they're in an abusive relationship. And so, um, you know, and interestingly, you know, when, when I read the emails, if anybody were to read the emails, it's pretty blatant stuff, right? The stuff that they, they write about is pretty blatant abuse. It's, um, you know, really awful name calling or cheating and you know but when you're in an abusive relationship those dynamics really erode your ability to tell if you're being abused and so that's one thing going on and and one way that i can really tell and i think it's the most common and most telling sign that somebody's been abused is if they've experienced cognitive dissonance. And so when I read in their letters and their emails to me and they say stuff like, you know, this person's done, you know, and they'll list some horrible things, but I don't know, are, am I in an abusive relationship? You can really see the cognitive dis dissonance they're experiencing and, you know, not having, you know, two beliefs, two opposing beliefs about the person they're with, let's say it's a partner, you know, on one hand, um, they're telling me about all the awful things this person has done. And the other hand, they're saying, I don't know if this person is abusive. Uh, you know, is this person a narcissist? So cognitive dissonance, I think, is probably the most telling uh, and most common uh, sign. And, um, and just so people... Um, kind of have a an idea of cognitive dissonance and you know it's it's not it's not just cognitive dissonance um well i want to say i should say i should back up so cognitive dissonance is more it's really i think it's it's just for people who've been in abusive relationships because if you've been in a relationship with somebody who isn't disordered you can come out you know, like a, a divorce or a really bad breakup can cause you to be traumatized, right? And the person doesn't need to be disordered. You can, you know, if you feel like you are um, overwhelmed, your your ability to cope is overwhelmed, that you maybe you felt powerless about the decision 
to break up or divorce. And maybe you feel like, um, which is really common, you feel like your sense of self is shattered, like who you are, you know, who am I? Am I, I used to be this person's wife or, and now I, you know, who am I? That, that can all, those are all elements of trauma. So you can come out of a relationship with somebody who's not disordered and still experience trauma, but you won't have the cognitive dissonance because what's unique to abusive relationships is that the abuser has that Jekyll and Hyde personality and the characteristics of that relationship cause a really kind of unpredictable um, changing environment that you just really never know what's going to happen. And that's what causes the cognitive dissonance. So, so can you give us a, an explanation of cognitive dissonance? Because it is very, um, it's, it's a very confusing process. It's what is reality? Can you give us a, a, a more formal explanation of that? Yes, of what cognitive dissonance is. So basically, you know, just real simply, it's when you have two completely opposing or opposite beliefs, it could even be more than two, and you hold them at the same time. And so what it does is, you know, when, you, when your beliefs and your thinking is not aligned, you know, then that causes a lot of tension and a lot of anxiety and anguish in people. And so, um, you know, and a lot of survivors, in fact, that is probably the number one thing when they come out of relationships that they complain about, right? That that's like a, a horrible symptom is this horrible cognitive dissonance that they feel about their partner, their ex-partner, and the relationship. Do you, do you see that? Well? I understand. Um, I, I wanted you to give a, a good example because I knew it would be better than mine. But um, I think for, for what I have seen with people is um, the, the, the narcissistic partner or disordered partner is giving them that mis mixed message of um, the public face and the private face, right? This is where you're like, wait, we were just at a party and he was telling everyone how great I am and then I get home and I'm being verbally abused and called names. And then, you know, as soon as you sink down, then they turn around and, and it's just this cycle and you're just like, am I good? Am I bad? Did I do, and, and they blame you for things that, that aren't your fault and then you get confused and it's, it's just so overwhelming for people. Um, I think the masks are such a big, important part. I would love to talk about that because, you know, we have the flavors of narcissists or you've got the overt, the covert, the, you know, malignant, the, the, there's a whole realm of things that they could be, but each one of those can have a performance mask. You know, if you've got the covert narcissist and they're going to be, um, you know, pretending to be a great dad by being the soccer coach or being the Girl Scout mom, and then they get in the car and they're yelling and screaming and, and they hate their kids and ignore them when they go home. Um, you're sitting there in that same, like, what is the real person? And then they, of course, explain the behavior of that home with, I'm tired, I don't always have to be on, or something like that. And then we go, oh, okay. But it's so confusing, because where was the good parent that everyone thinks is great, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that Jekyll and Hyde persona that really creates so much of it creates the trauma bond and the cognitive dissonance that um, really just makes people feel so uncertain, you know, that they feel so confused. 
And what happens, you know, over time, you know, a, another common symptom of, you know, people who are abused, uh, narcissistically abused, is self-doubt. They have a horrible, they're plagued with horrible self-doubt. And that is because of these dynamics. And gaslighting, which is a huge pattern in these relationships, that lying and denying, which creates a lot of uncertainty, a lot of confusion, it distorts people's reality. So they don't know which way is up anymore. And over time, they become really... You lose your self-esteem, you lose your self-worth, you lose your ability to trust your own judgment. And, you know, and, and that's when they start to even lose the ability to discern if they're in an abusive relationship. Right. And, and also, I think that the misconception of abuse um, that falls under the someone punched me in the face, um, at, well, at least they weren't doing that. At least they didn't go there. So, you know, I didn't understand that um, passive aggressive behaviors and silent treatment and all of the other, you know, stuff that gets mixed up into here is actually a punish and reward system. It's, it's punish you if you did this, I'm not going to talk to you. And then if you do what I say, I'll be nice to you. And, and it becomes this, you have to win their love. And, and, you know, when you look at the question of, you know, who, how do we know we didn't see this, right? If you are having to win someone's love and you're being punished with, you know, the silent treatment or passive aggressive sulking and, you know, just making your life miserable, making every holiday miserable, you know, that's not normal and, and it's not okay. But when people lose themselves, they've lost themselves because they've lost the ability usually to speak up. Um, they tried and they tried and every time they did, they just were put down and, and, and made small. And then eventually they just say, I, I, I'm not even going to fight anymore. I'm not going to try to set a boundary. I've lost myself. And that's, ex that's another one of the signs or, or the ways people can tell. And that's what you're describing is learned helplessness. You know, that, that feeling that, and it's an incorrect feeling, but it's a feeling that no matter, that there's no way to escape. There's no way of changing anything. So you're just not going to try anymore. And, you know, they, the, the reason why they feel it is, is, is everything you said. And it's, you know, correct. It's like, well, they've tried to do everything. And they've, they've um, bent like a pretzel. They've twisted like a pretzel. They've, they've um, thought of and done everything they can to try to make the relationship better, try to make it back to when the honeymoon, you know, period was. And nothing's worked. And so they, they, they give up, they stop trying and they just, you know, and that's, that's also a very, very sad thing because learned helplessness is usually like the first stop before depression, before anxiety. And, um, and then, like you said, it's a lot, you're losing yourself because you, you're not, you're not present for yourself. I have a, a quote that I put out there, I think on Instagram, but um, it's about boundaries. And I, and I say to people that um, it's better to try to set boundaries regardless of the um, possible outcome when you're with a narcissist. Um, because when we stop setting boundaries, when we stop standing up for ourselves, 
that's when they win and we lost ourselves. We just give up and that's that's that. So keep on trying to set those boundaries, people, regardless of whether or not they're listening, because if you give up, they're gonna know they won and it's only gonna get worse, I promise you. And that's so true. And you know, I think what happens is that over time, because people's self-esteem is so eroded, their, their, their reality is so distorted, um, that they, they start to believe and, you know, that everything is their fault. And it doesn't help that the narcissist is telling them it's your fault too. So they start to take blame for everything. And that right there is, is where they lose their ability to set the boundaries, right? Because it's their fault. I should have done this. Maybe I should have said it that way. If yeah. only I Exactly. So tell me how um, there are people in my life who have never had this happen, where I've had it repeated my entire life. Um, I have a narcissistic parent, so I didn't recognize the sign. So when I married it and married it and dated it, um, it was just natural for me. And so who are the victims? Was there a general, I don't want to say we're all codependent. I, I never like a broad stroke like that, but is there a, um, is there something that makes us a better target than others? Well, I believe there is. Um, I did not have narcissistic parents. I had a pretty normal childhood and I, I, I think I probably picked a pattern of narcissistic uh, men in my life. And um, so I, when it happened to me, like really severely, you know, and each one was probably worse than the, next, the last, right? So um, after the, the last relationship, that really kind of shook me up. And I'm like, what, you know? I did a lot of soul searching, a lot of reflection, a, you know, a lot of introspection. Because I, you know, I'm the common den denominator, right? There's, I didn't deserve it. I didn't do anything to make, cause it, but I am in this equation somehow. And so I, I believe that there are certain personality traits that are common to survivors that definitely make us more susceptible to these relationships and. Actually, Sandra Brown has done research on survivors, uh, actual research, and she, using the Big Five personality test, and she has, you know, identified what these traits are. And so if people want, they can Google that and, and do more uh, learning about that. But I'm, I, the two that I see, I saw myself, I see in all my clients are, um, conscientiousness and agreeableness and um, I think if you have you know if you're I, I know survivors out there even if you're came from a uh, family that had a narcissistic parent or if you didn't you know no matter what your background is you you probably have these traits um, and so when we think of conscientiousness we think of people who are really organized, right? They're planners, they're, they, are, they are achievement oriented. They, um, you know, when they say, give you their word, you can count on it, right? Um, and they're not quitters. So an example, I mean, there's obviously lots of facets of how this personality trait sort of sets people up for these 
relationships. And I should say that these are actually really great qualities, but just not in the presence of manipulative, toxic, disordered people. I always say to people that it has to be a balance. And, and when I have my groups, I say, okay, give me the percentage of how much you did in the relationship. And it's always up here or off the charts. And what they did is here. You know, a balance is what you're looking for. And, and I think, you know, when we are that giver, that sort of people pleaser or the, the conscientious person, we are going to keep trying and trying. And that's what they love about us. We're like tasty morsels of right. someone that they can mold and abuse because oh, we'll help you, we'll fix you, we'll keep trying harder. If you tell us we're doing it wrong, we'll keep trying harder. That's the conscientious part about this is they're looking for someone that is going to be a giver because they need to take, and so they need a giver. And so those are, are really part of this whole equation. And somebody who, like you are saying, that's just not going to give up. I mean, a conscientious person, when they commit to something, whatever it is, they're going to put their 100% into it. And it works against them because if it was in a, you know, a relationship with a non-disordered person, it would be wonderful, right? You give it your all, you're going to make this work, hell or high water, you're going to do it, you know, but with, an, with a disordered person, it's, it's really, it really works against, this trait really works against the survivor. And then I, I wanted to talk about cooperation because a lot of, a lot of survivors, you'll hear them say, you know, well, I'm just empathetic. It's my empathy. You know, so, so they zero in on that one little trait of empathy, but it's really more than that. You know, it's, it's, the, it's under sort of the uh, other big five trait of cooperation, which would be somebody who's trusting, somebody who's empath empathetic, somebody who doesn't like confrontation. I hear that from my clients all the time. You know, they, they're, they're great people, they're strong people, but they just, you know, they're not conf confrontational people. They don't like it. Um, and so those traits, it, it's kind of obvious how those can sort of work, work against a survivor in a relationship with a, a disordered person. Absolutely. Thank you so much, because I, I, I've always broken it down by the, the trust in your subcategories. I love that those are the, the two hierarchy of, of these are these are the traits, but I see them the most. Go ahead. I, I was just gonna say I see those the most in my clients. Those are pretty universal. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think I could check every box for there for for most of the victims I talk with. But how does someone not be a target again? Yeah. So I mean, this this I think is so important because happens and what I see in my practice is, you know, people come in, they're feeling, they're devastated, they're feeling horrible, they start, you know, they work with you, they start to heal, and when people feel better, they, they're like, great, I feel better, I'm going to move on now, <laughs> and a lot of times that, you know, people think that, um, you know, okay, I've learned all the warning signs, the red flags, I pretty much have my, you know, doctorate degree in narcissistic personality disorder with all the research and information. And, you know, I'm, I'm well armed. I can go out now. I'll be able to spot it. I'll be able to protect myself. This is the problem. The problem is you, but you, you still have these traits, right? You're still over the top cooperative. You're still over the top conscientious. We're not talking, you know, you know, average, you have high normal. So, so what happens is it's like having laws without police 
men to uh, to enforce it, right? So what will happen is they'll go back out there and they won't be, a, they, they might see something, they might see a red flag, they might see uh, some sign or the, something will ring a bell in their knowledge, but they don't have, they have like poor boundary enforcement. It's not that they have bad boundaries so much, but poor boundary enforcement. And that's because they're seen through their traits. So what happens is a narcissist might say something and they go, oh, that could be like, you know, oh, they're kind of playing the victim. But then their, you know, their empathy, their trusting nature, they're, they're seeing people the way through themselves. Like, well, I don't mind, you know, so this person, they're still seeing people and viewing people and interacting with the world with these traits. So to answer your question, I kind of went off on a tangent there, but to answer your question, it's really to, you know, at the, the last piece, the really important piece is to work on these traits, not not change them, there's nothing wrong with them. But to, what I tell my clients is like to build filters on them, like filters of protection, because um, that, that temper these traits until, some, until you really know somebody, until you've really, until somebody's really earned your trust and you, you know them and then you can sort of, you know, relax. I have, I have a, a course on my website called Change the Story. And um, my philosophy is that our story gives the, the abuser clues to what we have tolerated before. So it's the same thing. It's protecting those good qualities and mm -hmm. not sharing them or, you know, stepping back and, and watching more than we react and, you know, love at first sight um, is fine. But wait six months before you decide <laughs> if this is really what it is, because you'll see the colors, right? The whole point of a narcissist love bombing and rushing everything is so that you don't get a chance to ever see the real them. You're in this whirlwind, it's, oh my God, it's so fast, slow down and watch more and don't give them the information, say, you know, uh, my husband cheated on me 15 times, but I stayed because I'm loyal and I believe in, the, in the, the, my vows and I'm gonna be there for someone. You've just given them a roadmap to go and abuse you and cheat on you. And the, the normal person is going to say, that's really weird. She's allowing him that she didn't do anything. What'd she do to stop him? And a narcissist, I have a little green flag here, literally goes, oh, awesome, I can cheat, green flag. They're sitting there counting the things when they do this interrogation to see what you've tolerated, where you've been, and how strong were you. If you had strong boundaries, they're not going to want you. So it's, if they're looking for the one that they can, it's like the antelopes running across the field in the um, in, in National Geographic. They don't go for the strong one. They go for the guy at the back. And not that we are the guy at the back, but we are the ones that are so caring and loving and we can fix them. And, and that is a vulnerability that they're going to exploit. Absolutely. It made me think of... Um something that happened with a client of mine and it just kind of illustrates this point. She uh, was in a, uh, like a professional relationship the, with a, uh, some guy. And anyway, it doesn't matter who it was. Anyway, he would say things to her, you know, a little flirty, a little, you know, that made her feel uncomfortable. This was a professional working relationship. And so what she did, because she's 
cooperative because she's conscientious and she didn't want any confrontation or make him feel embarrassed or, you know, didn't want to make him feel bad. She just ignored it. But this is the thing. He was a narcissist and her ignoring it was not standing up for himself or herself. So he continued to do it. And then it, you know, it, it snowballed, it got very bad. And so she's like, I don't understand like what I could have done different. And, and so that's what will happen if, if you don't, or aren't, if you don't practice that confrontation right when you first see something that is bothering you. And this is what we do in relationships, right? We let it go. Well, it's not that big of a deal or, you know, or, he, or we assume good intentions, right? And, and if we don't kind of nip it in the butt, the minute we see it, narcissistic people will continue to do it and continue and continue and continue until you now have a really big problem. And I think there's a line of delusion there. So she's not playing into his game, but because she didn't stop him, the narcissist takes it as permission. And they're going, oh, okay. And then they have this delusion that there's like this whole big thing that, no, no, just because I didn't say anything didn't mean I wanted it. But they, they really, like, they don't... They take it as weakness. They take it as weakness and they see, oh, okay, I can get away with it. So exactly. I think... It, Important for people to really understand their own strengths and their own vulnerabilities because vulnerabilities um, are going to be on display when you have that first coffee date and um, you know if it's not a romantic relationship when you, you're first being tested if you would they are sitting there and throwing out little tests like where do you want to go for dinner today well I don't care wherever you want to go and you go that's being agreeable right but the reality is they're going, oh, she don't have any opinion. I could walk all over her, right? So yes, exactly. things that we have to realize if we don't speak up and learn to speak up sooner. Um, yes, we might risk this relationship not going forward. But if that person is going to leave because you had a voice, get the hell out now. Exactly. So I want to thank you so much, Bree, for being here and, and talking about this today. Um, you are a wealth of information. Um, people can still go to your website and uh, World Narcissist Abuse Awareness Day, right? Is it the initials? Well, they can. I have two. I have my blog, and that is free from toxic, so they can go there. And they can go to World Narcissistic Abuse Awareness Day, or easier, just WNAAD.com. And they can check out all the summits and all the good information on that site. Thank you so much. And thank you for letting me be on your summit this year. It was such an honor and um, it has validated my work so much. People like look at, at your event as like the gold star. And if I could get like a little gold star for my, my, my page and go, look, I spoke there. It was such an honor. And I am so happy to have you as a friend in, in my life to help the rest of the world. So. Thank you for being well, here. I feel the same way about you. Thank you, Tracy.